morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Got myself a new platform so you guys can see me. Life is good. Hey, uh, did anybody notice anything different this morning? Oh, I almost fell off this thing right away, like right off, right out of the bat. All right, please pray for me. Hey, we got new chairs, and uh, we are very excited about that and what God is doing in this church. And, um, you know, I am just praying and believing that these new chairs are not just going to be new chairs, uh, but they will begin a brand new season in the life of this church, a season of growth, a season of God's blessing and God's anointing. And uh, we have waited a very long time to get these chairs. And if you don't know the story, uh, then I would love to tell you about God's faithfulness. Because when you, see, when you guys, you, you may just see chairs I see God's provision. Uh, you just may see kind of your equilibrium off and, and kind of not sure where to sit and all of that. And you may feel that. But what I feel is God's goodness and God's faithfulness. So we are celebrating uh, all that God is doing and what he's going to do in the life of this church. Uh, well, we're in the second week of a series that we're calling Alpha and Omega. And I have this firm belief that the beginning of a story... Uh, that the beginning of, a, of any story, whether it's told in book or in film or other any kind of medium, uh, the beginning of the story is absolutely critical. That if we miss the beginning of the story, uh, then, then we have a hard time really understanding the story itself. In other words, that is the beginning of the story is critical if, if for, unless we might misunderstand the story in general. Uh, and so sometimes if you miss the beginning of a story, you're late to the movie, you skip the first chapter of the book, uh, then you can actually get confused, misunderstand the story, and actually come to the wrong conclusions about what the story is actually about just because you missed the beginning. Right? Anybody with me? Anybody understand? And so to illustrate this, uh, I thought that I would use uh, Matthew McConaughey movies. Yeah, because if I had a man crush, and I don't, it would be Matthew McConaughey, maybe Brad Cooper. Okay, so maybe Brad Cooper. All right, so let's, see, let's look at this. Uh, this is, we don't want to misunderstand the story. We don't want to come to the wrong conclusion about the story because we came in on it late, as illustrated by Matthew McConaughey movies. Okay, so the first one, come on, you got to help me out, you know? You got to help me out. All right, so... The first one is Ghost of Girlfriends Past. Any fans? Nobody. I should have picked a different actor. I should have. But I got to go with it because I researched Matthew McConaughey movies just for this illustration. So, so whether it's good or not, help me out, all right? So Ghost of Girlfriends Past. If you missed the beginning, if you came in late, if you didn't understand that he was a womanizer in that movie, you'd think that the movie was just about one guy daydreaming about a single girl, right? He gets visited by all these ghosts, and he's remembering all these past experiences. He's seeing his future, all of these things. You would think that it's just a daydream about a single woman, when in fact, it's warnings that he needs to stop being a womanizer and find true love. Are you with me? If you missed the beginning, you've missed the whole thing, all right? Next one. Come on, I can tell this is going over really well. Failure to launch. A little better. We're getting there. All right, all right. The, the next one is going to blow you away, all right? The next one is going to blow. Failure to launch. In this movie, this movie loses all of its emotional power, if it had any to begin with. This movie loses all of its emotional power if you miss the part where Trip, he's played by Matthew McConaughey, Trip's parents hire Paula 
Sarah Jessica Parker, hire Paula to fall in love with Trip in order to get him out of the house, right? It's, so it's a trick the whole time. If you missed that part, if you missed the 35-year-old Trip's parents hiring a girl to get him out of the house, then it's just simply another love story, and you've missed the whole thing. And you've lost that sort of emotional draw to the story, all right? How to lose a guy in 10 days. Yeah! <laughs> Front row, we got a little... The equivalent to an amen, the yeah. Okay? So we got that there. How to lose a guy in 10 days, all right? If you didn't know that their relationship was based on a bet that he made that he could make any girl fall in love with him, and an article that she was writing on how to lose a guy in 10 days, if you missed that part, you would think that this entire story is just about a psycho girlfriend and a crazy boyfriend, right? About why in the world is he keeping her around, and woo, she's weird, right? So if you miss the beginning of the story, it's easy to misunderstand the entire story. And in fact, it's easy to come to the wrong conclusion. Now, I had to come up with this one. This is not a Matthew McConaughey movie. But what about if you walked in on The Matrix after... after Neo has been rescued from The Matrix and Morpheus has explained the whole deal? Put yourself in that position. You walk in on The Matrix... Neo is in the real world. It's already been explained by Morpheus. It would be very easy to come to the conclusion that this is just a movie about really serious gamers. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And they're playing a game called Beat Agent Smith, all right? So you come to the whole wrong conclusion if you missed it, all right? That's the point I'm trying to make, is that the beginning of the story is absolutely critical to understanding the story and getting a a, a true handle on what the story is all about. And the same is true of the gospel. When we come to tell the story of the gospel, we've got to begin... In the beginning. And so today, that's what I want to talk to you about. Beginning in the beginning. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created day and night and water and sky and land with trees and plants and the sun and the moon and the stars and the seasons. And then the birds and the fish and the animals. And then humans were created and were, and were told to rule over all of this creation. And this poem is written in a time, the original audience would have heard this poem of creation in a time where poems about creation were really common. And all of them kind of had a similar feel and a similar beat. They were all very poetic, just like the poem that we get in Genesis 1. And so this was written, though, at a time, and it made this distinction between the creator and the creation. And this is absolutely a revolutionary idea when the, to the original audience that read Genesis 1 for the very first time. Having a distinction between the creator and the created was a revolutionary idea and probably absolutely blew their minds. And so this Genesis story, while it shares many of the common attributes of other creation stories that were common at the time, it absolutely is unique and distinct in that there's a hierarchy within this creation that we get a sense of, right? So follow along with me. In Genesis 1, if we were to read it all, Genesis 1 and 2, what we would find is that creation is sort of embedded with this hierarchy, right? The creator stands over all, but the crown of creation, that is 
man and woman, humankind, is brought to the middle and told to serve and steward and take care of all of creation, right? So they are ruled by the creator and to rule over creation. There's a hierarchy of creator, humans, and creation. Does that make sense? And what happens in Genesis as we read along is that we see that this hierarchy is, means that everything is in its proper place. Everything is perfectly ordered. It, so humans are commissioned to care the, for, for, for creation. But creation itself is not just this static thing, right? It's not just created and then never changes. But plants are, are producing more plants. They're growing. Everything is sort of dynamic in creation, which means the creation is going. Going somewhere, which is why we as human beings are brought over creation in order to steer it and, and, and manage it and steward it well. Okay, So this creation itself is not just a static thing. It's always the same and it never changes. It's this dynamic thing and we are brought over to steward it. So there's this hierarchy within creation. Creator, humans, and then the creation. And this hierarchy, when it's working well together, equals Harmony. And harmony is this idea of everything in its proper place. Right? You read Genesis 1 and and 1 and 2, and you find this sort of beautiful poem, this beautiful story, this beautiful narrative of everything in its proper place. And I don't know about you, but as if whenever you read Genesis 1 and 2, and if you've not read it, I encourage you to read it this afternoon. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find one in some of those racks in front of you or beside you, and you can just take it home. There's no such thing as stealing a Bible, okay? It's yours, right? If you don't have a Bible and you want to go home and read it. So Genesis 1 and 2 tells this story where everything is in its proper place. There's this harmony. And yet when I read it, I feel like, man, we've lost that harmony. We've lost that sort of sense of everything being in its proper place. And what that harmony looks like is that this hierarchy within creation is, is working out. So the creator rules over all. Humans or humankind is, is under the lordship of the creator, but at the same time properly caring for the creation just like they were told to do so. And so humans, there's this perfect harmony. Everything is, is in its proper place. And the Hebrew word for this is shalom. And shalom is this way of saying peace, or a way of saying harmony, or a way of saying uh, wholeness. And so in, in Genesis 1 and 2, we have perfect shalom in the beginning. And that absolutely matters when we're telling the story of the gospel. We cannot skip over the part where everything is in perfect harmony and shalom with one another, where the hierarchy within creation is in perfect order. Now, if you jump to the end of the book, because this is a series about the begin and the end, right? So if you go to the end, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles, because we're going to read a few verses about the end that we've not read yet in this series. And it's out of, Gen- or it's out of Revelation chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen as well. But Revelation chapter 21 also paints a picture of perfect shalom happening in the world. It reads like this. It says, I saw the holy city... 
The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And to those who are thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. So in the beginning, there is perfect shalom with God. The hierarchy of creation is all in its proper place, and there's harmony working as everyone sits in their proper place within the hierarchy. And and when we read the end of the book, what we realize is that there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. There is water that is made available to anyone who is thirsty. There's food from the tree of life in in the next chapter. Food from the tree of life, we talked about that last week. It's in abundance and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's this picture of the end of hunger. It's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of healing, not just personally, but corporately. Healing for all the nations, for all the world. The story begins with harmony in creation and the story ends with harmony in recreation creation and recreation and the central theme of it all at the beginning and the end is shalom peace harmony wholeness oneness god comes down to be his people relationship is perfectly restored and shalom returns the story begins with shalom And the story ends with shalom. But the thing that stands in the middle of creation and recreation is sin. Which enters the story very early on in Genesis chapter 3. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the nature of sin. And I want to unpack that just a little bit more today. Because the reality is that sin can really be a difficult thing to get a handle on. And so what I want to do is is I want to pull back, gain the perspective of the beginning and the end. The story begins with shalom, it ends with shalom. And yet we have this thing called sin that is in the middle. We have this hierarchy that's perfectly working working itself out, uh, everyone in its proper place. And then at the end, we also have this hierarchy that returns, this shalom that returns. Everything again returns to its proper place within the created order. And so what I would like to argue with you today, and I I don't know if you've ever heard this before. It was a new idea the first time I heard it. But what I'd like to argue is that sin is any way in which we rebel against the hierarchy that was established at creation. Are you with me? It's putting ourselves out of place. 
Right? And so how often, look, let's look at the very first sin. Here we have this perfect hierarchy, creator, humans, creation. Humans are worshiping God. They're in relationship with him. They're loving him. They're seeing that they are not him, that there's a distinction between them. And yet they are also ruling over creation. They're stewarding it. They're ordering it. This, this dynamic creation, they're helping to bring it somewhere. And so everything is in its proper place. And yet at the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes along to Adam and Eve and says, you can be equal with God if you just eat the fruit. And last week we talked about that from the perspective of that's a a temptation of pride. First doubt and then pride. But if we go beyond that, if if we go to the thing behind the thing, if we peel back another layer, what we see is that this is actually a rebellion against the hierarchy that was established in creation. Adam and Eve essentially said by eating the fruit, God, you're in our seat. I wonder how many times in our own lives we would never admit it We would never quite frame it like that. But I wonder how often in the way that we act, we essentially say to God, you're in my seat. Or we say to God, I got this one. I don't really need you here because you've given me all that I need. You've given me uh, knowledge. You've given me talent and all these things. So so I got this one. In fact, you just kind of, you just sit this one out, Lord. And that is essentially a rebellion against the hierarchy that was established in creation because we say to God, you're in my seat. Now think about the rebellion in the other way, right? If we we ever say to God, God, you're in my seat, and we try to rule our own lives, haven't we proved to ourselves that that doesn't work very well? If you're anything like me, I've proven that to myself. I've tried to replace myself in God's position. God, I got this. I don't need you. Go ahead and sit this one out. It's no issue for me. I got it. And then I've fallen down and I've failed. And I've essentially said, I can't trust myself. That's not going to work. But think about it the other way. If we ever move from worshiping God, our creator, and move to worshiping the creation, that's not going to work now either. Now, very, there are some people in our culture that will worship the creation. Uh, but more often than not, that comes in, in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that looks like a worship of the creation is if you find yourself in an addiction of any kind today, then you are looking to the creation to fulfill that which only God can. And the hierarchy is out of balance. You're rebelling against the hierarchy that has been established at creation. Now, I'm not putting you down. I just want to put things in perspective for you. That anytime there's this addiction, it's looking to this thing out of the created order to fulfill that which only God can. Whether it's addiction to a substance of some kind, whether it's a a relational addiction where, where, where we're addicted to something that someone else can provide us but never in the fullness and the truest way in which our creator can provide it for us. And so I just want to be very honest today that in our world, there's this hierarchy that's out of balance, and that is the nature of sin. Sin is having the hierarchy out of whack. Worshiping the created order or saying to God, you are in my seat. 
But sin is not where the story begins, and sin is not where the story ends. Yay! Right? Isn't that the good news of the gospel? I mean, we kind of live in this mucky middle ground, and I can tell that all of you are, in, even though these are beautiful new chairs and you all look great, and when I'm talking about that, you're kind of slumping down a little bit, right? And the whole morale in the room is going, man, I'm rebelling against creation. Oh, man. Like, what am I going to do? I've got to go home, and I, I just want to watch football, but now I've been given this. You know? What am I going to do with this? But the good news is the story does not begin with sin and it doesn't end with sin. That's really great news and I wish this platform were bigger. Okay? Here's our mistake though. What we're talking about is beginning in the actual beginning. Our mistake is that when we retell the story of the gospel and when we tell the story of the gospel, how often do we begin at Genesis 3? We come to the story late. And we say to someone, you are a horrible sinner. Which is true. We all live in the effects of sin. But we've entered the story late. We've come into the matrix after Morpheus has explained what the whole thing is about. Right? We've come to the story late if we begin there. And when we begin late, it's so easy to misunderstand the story itself. And it's so easy to misunderstand or come to the wrong conclusion about the story. Think about every gospel presentation you've ever heard. Doesn't it begin with, you are a horrible sinner, there is a problem that needs a solution. And so we go up to someone and we feel like we're doing our good Christian duty and we say, hey man, how you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alright, I'm alright, man. Hey, you know, I just, I got good news for you. You are an abomination. <laughs> and that person's like, man, I was feeling pretty good, I just got a raise. And, and then they say to you, that's your good news? What's your bad news? Right? What if, we, what if we talk to them about not being this horrible sinner and being this abomination, but what if we came up to people and we said, you know what? In the very beginning, God created this beautiful world in which you and I are a part. But in order to fully experience this world, we have to find our proper place within the hierarchy. And you know what? I have rebelled against that hierarchy. I, am, I have sinned, and so have you. But if we start with just your horrible sinner, and they say, man, I was doing pretty good because I just got a raise. But versus if we start with, you were intended to be loved by God. You were created by God who loves you and he's inviting you to return to your proper place. That, to me, sounds like good news. That, to me, sounds like good news. With the Roman road, the bridge, evangelism explosion, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? All of these Things frame the story as though the story begins in Genesis chapter 3. But the story doesn't begin there. And I want to challenge you and I to begin in the beginning. 
Now, let me flesh this out for you a little bit because I can see that many of you are very worried and you're wondering, you know, this pastor doesn't care about sin and he's trying to say that sin is not a big deal. Listen to me, that's not what I'm saying. Sin is a part of the story, but it's not where it begins, right? Sin has to be dealt with and it is dealt with through the victory of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. That is sure. And you know that sin is a problem. We know that this rebellion against the hierarchy is a problem because when I was talking about it, you all got pretty depressed, right? Which tells me that you identify with it as I do, all right? So I'm not trying to say that sin is not a big deal. I'm trying to put it in its proper place in the larger story because it doesn't begin with sin and it doesn't end with sin. Along the way, though, sin has to be dealt with and defeated and found victory over. So let me frame this a little bit because this approach that always begins in Genesis 3 has a huge impact on how we communicate the gospel, how we share the gospel, and ultimately the goal of our lives as Christians, right? If we have started the story late and our understanding of the story is always entering it and coming into the story at Genesis 3, there's a very real possibility that we have misunderstood the story altogether. So let me flesh that out for you a little bit. If we start the story in Genesis 3, then the, the primary goal is getting rid of the problem, which is sin, right? You have a problem. You have fallen into this problem. The problem is all around you. And so now we have to fix the problem. How often have you heard the gospel presented as you have a problem. Jesus is the solution. I can package him up real nice and market him as though he's an item that you buy off the shelf to fix your problem. Okay? I know this is some new thoughts with for you, but stick with me. So if we start in Genesis 3, the primary goal is getting rid of the problem. If we start in Genesis 1, the primary goal is the restoration of shalom. And central to that restoration is dealing with the sin issue. We're not pushing sin out of the way. We're putting sin in its proper place. So if we understand the story as it really begins in Genesis 1, then you and I, our goal for our lives as Christians does not become just getting rid of the problem. It becomes participating in the ongoing work of shalom that God is doing in the world. Are you with me now? Right? So the goal is the restoration of wholeness, the restoration of peace, the restoration of of harmony, where we invite people to find their proper place within creation. That becomes the goal. Now, uh, let me give you another example. If we start in Genesis 3, then the goal becomes disembodied evacuation, right? This whole place, I'm filled with sin. This whole place is filled with sin. If I can just leave this place and go to that place, then everything will be better. And so the goal then of our Christian life is, do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? Understanding heaven as being somewhere far out there and up there, right? And so the goal in Genesis 3 becomes this disembodied evacuation. If, though, we start in Genesis chapter 1, then the goal becomes participation in the ongoing shalom, right? Genesis 3 is easy. If we enter the story at Genesis 3, it's very easy for us to to understand or misunderstand that everything that's physical is bad, right? And so this world is bad, myself is bad, my body is bad, everything is bad, and so I just need to get out of here to a non-physical world. Does this sound familiar? Right? But Genesis 1 establishes that God is the creator of all that is physical, and he has called it good. And that you are not the bottom of creation, you are the crown of creation. 
Rebellion is the issue. Material is not. And if we just start at chapter 3, then it's easy to understand that anything that's material or physical is bad, and our goal becomes just living in sort of this non-physical way. Okay? We driving? You catching on? All right. I hope you guys are driving, because I kind of feel like I'm drowning. So. (laughs) So here we go. There's a much different outcome, though, If we realize that in Genesis 1, we're invited to participate with ongoing shalom. My goal is not to get out of here, but partner with God to fix here. My goal is to invite people into that shalom. And I now have a responsibility to participate with God in this increasing shalom in our world. And there's a lot... There there is... um, there's a lot different in, that's a lot different outcome than just trying to get out of here and get to heaven. I begin my story. Uh, and, and one of the other things is if I'm just trying to get out of here and get to heaven, then my focus of the story becomes very narrowed. But if my goal in, is to, the participation of shalom, to participate in the kingdom of God, as the New Testament puts it, then my scope is actually widened to see the world as God sees it. And I feel like one of the reasons that Christians have created such a strong subculture is not in the name of of a God-driven community. That's part of it. But part of the subculture is we are trying to escape out of that which we see as bad. And so we, we kind of segue it off. We say, oh, this is bad. This is rotten. And so I can't be a part of it. But if we start in Genesis 1, we say, this is a rebellion against a created order. How can I now come in and help to be part of the solution, not just avoid the problem? Are you with me? I got my front row amen corner with me. And I should have known that none of you would sit in the spit zone. So, so next week... If you want to get wet, <laughs> then you can sit right here, all right? So that's, 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 the, that's the point I want to make. Okay, so let me ask you this. Have you ever heard someone speak about this, this sort of beautiful participation in the ongoing and the growing shalom of God in the world and the kingdom of God? And it's so beautiful and you have all this picture and you're really motivated to go out there and do God's work. And then right at the end for two minutes is tacked on this weird thing about getting out of here, right? We've, he's talked or he or she has talked for 40 minutes about fixing here and, and, and doing Doing God's work here, but then at the very last second, really the goal is just to get out of here. Have you heard that before? And you kind of think to yourself, what was that at the end? If the goal is to try to kind of participate and steward and invite people into this great world, the kingdom of God, and yet the goal is also to get out of here, what does that really mean? Or have you ever seen someone live their life in such a beautiful way, participating with God to bring about his new world, and yet all they can think about is getting out of here? And you look at their life and you're like, man, that's, that's beautiful what you're doing for the kingdom of God. And yet you hear them talk and they just say, I just can't wait to get out of here. And I would argue that the heaven is here, renewed, made as it should be. Not just somewhere way out there, far out there. Here's what happens. When we begin... In the beginning. Then confession. Is a way of saying. Yeah. I have rebelled against. This beautiful picture that's given in Genesis 1. 
that hierarchy within creation, I can, I can live up to that. But so often we take people that are li- living generally good lives and they're, um, they're, they see themselves as self-sufficient, they're, they're financially doing well, and they see no need for God. And we, we come up to them and we say, you are a horrible sinner. And they say, what I do wrong? But if we take this self-sufficient person who is financially doing well, they're a leader at their workplace, and for all intents and purposes, their life is going very well, and we say to them, let me paint you a picture of the beginning of this story and then show you the ways in which you're rebelling against that hierarchy, I think that the common response is, well, yeah, I can see how I've rebelled against that. It changes the way we play offense, so to speak, right? I mean, rather than come to someone with a heavy hand, we're coming with them and saying, I do have truly good news. Let me share with you a beautiful picture of the world as it should be. So that becomes confession. Yeah, I can see how I've, I've been a part of that, how I've rebelled against this beautiful picture at creation. And then repentance becomes an invitation to return. Repentance is not just this intellectual assent to a certain set of facts about a man named Jesus Christ. Repentance becomes this invitation to return to your proper place within creation so that harmony can be restored, first in your own life and then in the lives of others around you as you work for the kingdom of God. Do you see how that's different? Do you get a, a kind of a handle on the, on the message that I want to share with you today? We cannot begin our telling of the gospel in Genesis 3. We have to begin where it actually begins in Genesis 1. And I believe that as we paint this beautiful picture and as we tell people about this hierarchy within creation. Now, if you went to someone and you started using language like that, hey, dude, there's a hierarchy within creation, they'll look at you like you're mad, okay? So don't use that same language, but use that same concept and begin to tell them that they have been created by a God who loves them. And yet they try to sit in his seat that they've been offered the opportunity, given uh, the privilege, commissioned to take this beautiful creation of God and order it and manage it and steward it, this dynamic thing that is going somewhere. And you could say you've turned to this thing that you are to rule over, not to exploit it in such a way that it will stop providing for you, but manage it in such a way that it will always provide for you. You've taken that thing and made it your master. And, and I wonder if, if those of you who are struggling with addiction today, if you just got a hold of that truth, that whatever I'm looking to for in the addiction, maybe it's companionship, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's uh, I'm looking for um, kind of this assurance that I count and that I'm worth it. Whatever it is that you're looking to the object of your addiction for, if you can see that as a rebellion against the hierarchy and begin to place yourself properly and say, only God can provide that which I'm looking for. I'll bet that the shalom in your life will increase. 
And of course, we'll never experience the full shalom of God until the restoration of all things. But the, but the idea is to always be experiencing increasing levels of God's peace, God's goodness, God's wholeness in our life as we find again our proper place in the created order. We need to begin in the beginning. And so in conclusion, I simply want to frame all of this um, in, in a real concise way to give you an idea of what this might look like. The creator of all things loves you. And you were created in his image. And you were placed perfectly within creation to experience harmony and unbroken relationship with your creator. But the emptiness that you sometimes feel, the struggle for control, really what it all boils down to is that there's broken peace, there's broken harmony, and there's a rebellion against the order that God had placed in creation. And sometimes you may not even realize that the order is there, but you've broken it. And so realizing the goodness of God's creation and his desire to put everything back to right, we are called to confess. To confess is simply a way of saying, yes, I have rebelled against this beautiful picture, this God who loves me and has created me in his image. I have broken that peace and that harmony. And I'm living out of order with creation. After confession is repentance... And at its core, repentance is an invitation to return. It is God calling you back to your proper place. If you have said to God, God, you are in my seat. If you have have looked to the creation as your object of worship, repentance is simply a way of God inviting you to return to your proper place. And of course, central to it all is Jesus, who has died on a cross has been resurrected, that that makes our confession and our repentance even possible. He is the one that makes this return to harmony realistic. And so may you realize today God's love for you, God's plan for you from the very, very beginning. And may you see that it is Jesus who is the one who has made your return possible. And may you go on into the world participating in the way of him who has put it all back to right, Jesus Christ. May you call him your savior. May you confess your rebellion against him. And may you return to your proper place for a God who absolutely is crazy about you. If you're here today and you don't follow Jesus Christ and you're just exploring this faith thing, I don't know how you've heard the gospel presented before and I don't know if anyone has ever come down on you with a heavy hand saying you're a horrible sinner. Sin is part of the issue. That's the rebellion. But let me tell you the good news today. God is inviting you to return. And you can return today. The band is going to come up in a few moments and we're going to sing a song and Um, 
There's nothing magical about the song itself. It just provides us space to reflect on how God is speaking to us. During that time and during that song, I would invite you to return. To return to God through prayer of confessing before him that you've rebelled against this beautiful picture that he has painted in creation. And to return to your proper place, worshiping him as creator and beginning to order all of creation. And that doesn't just mean that you recycle. It means that we're in proper relationship with God. We're in proper relationship with one another. And we work to be in proper relationship with the created order as well. Because that's what shalom looks like. And my prayer for you today is that you would experience God's shalom in your life.